Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless. You're here because you want to learn about how to live a healthier life, how to live more sustainably, how to take your everyday actions and make them work for you and the planet. Sometimes it might feel like you've got this figured out and other times you probably feel lost. That's why I'm here. Together, we will learn how to live happier, healthier lives without the need to be perfect and always allowing space for a little cluelessness on this journey to living a more conscious life. Today, I talked to Sheila Masifi. She is a climate activist from South Africa that founded She for Earth, a youth-led organization educating children and youths about environmental problems with solutions rooted in Ubuntu. Here we go. This podcast is supported by Who Gives a Crap? Who Gives a Crap is an eco-friendly toilet paper company that donates 50% of its profits to help ensure everyone has access to clean water and a toilet within our lifetime. Who Gives a Crap has donated almost 8 million U.S. dollars to nonprofit organizations who help provide clean water and toilets all over the world. Who Gives a Crap is delivered straight to your door with carbon-neutral delivery. I love that it comes that way. I don't have to think about it. It's an automatic subscription, and I want you to try it. You can check out Who Gives a Crap and get $10 off your first order over $54 with the code CARLY10. That's C-A-R-L-Y-10, or check out the link in the show notes. You're in South Africa, correct? So I like to start the podcast by kind of explaining the origin of the name. So the podcast is called Consciously Clueless. And that was this idea of realizing that we're all on this journey of like trying to figure it out and trying to be more conscious. And then also just like sometimes we have no idea what we're doing and we're totally clueless. Um, So I like to ask people like, where are you feeling in between those two right now? Are you feeling more clueless, feeling more conscious? Um, actually, for me, uh, it's it's quite more like, you know, um, those feelings of, you know, cluelessness as well as, you know, consciousness. So it's like um, there isn't really a standing point where it's like, I'm like, yeah, now I'm, 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 you know, I'm conscious about, you know, what's going on and everything. Yeah, I like that, that idea of like, we're never really done learning, right? So you founded um, She for Earth. And that is how I found you on Instagram. I was so um, inspired by the work you were doing and that you were starting this organization. So can Okay, um, she for us is basically um, sort of like, you know, one big vision, you know, uh, but then, you know, kind of like, you know, starting out, you know, in small steps, like, you know, bits and bits, you know, with storytelling, with the uh, project, with uh, Climate Illustrated. Um, so we also uh, plant uh, succulents and trees, set up school gardens in rural communities. Okay as well as, you know, rural-based uh, uh, or remote uh, schools. Because, like, when you look at, you know, all this conversation, most of the conversations that are happening about climate change, they're happening in, you know, urban areas. They're not happening where people are, where, you know, these people who are affected are. And also the language that is used, you know, it is a lot of, you know, linguistic barriers 
So as a multilingual, because, you know, South Africa is a multilingual country. So using right. that, using that to, to the advantage to, uh, um, like, uh, you know, leveraging uh, my skills and languages, you know, communicating these uh, problems and also what people can do and children can do in the languages that they understand. It's kind of like, you know, just me meeting people where they are so that's why I started She for Earth as well as because, you know, the racism in the, you know, other organizations, uh, especially internationally and as well, you know, in, you know, national uh, organizations, because, you know, there's this perspective uh, that, you know, environmental spaces are predominantly white. And, you know, also in the in the country, it's just been like that. Most people... Uh, black people would tell you, why do you care about white people's stuff? So kind of like, you know, also, bridging, mm. you know, so, you know, trying to, you know, bridge the gap in between, you know, um, what people know and, you know, what people can do. It's like, you know, sort of like, you know, what I was saying earlier about learning and relearning. Mm-hmm. So are you saying that because of, the understandable mistrust of white organizations and white people and these white saviors, there's this idea of like, well, why would we even, why would we even listen to what they're saying? They're not, they're not speaking to us. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, sort of like uh, exactly what she said, actually, because it's when you, it's like, you know, when you see, I always look at, you know, uh, at my university, I'm studying psychology, by the way. Uh, so I have a lot of, you know, uh, people that I know, acquaintances and, you know, friends and contacts in the environmental spaces, like botany, environmental, you know, sciences, zoology, and, you know, environmental economics as well. So what I see is like, you know, most of this, you know, spaces in, especially in zoology and botany, you're going to find white people, predominantly white right. people. It's it's not easy to find black people there, especially even in leadership positions. So it also, that alone also builds a certain narrative that, you know, this is a white space. So me starting She for Earth was, you know, kind of, you know, I don't know, but sort of like um, rewriting the narrative, you know, about, you know, what people know about Africa, you know, what people sort of like about all this, uh, what we have been taught about, you know, what, you know, what we know now, the environment, um, social issues and, you know, all of those things. Yeah. So where did this, that's, first of all, that's amazing. And I didn't even realize that you're in university. So how, how old are you? If I can ask that you're already doing all this activism. I actually, um, I'm, I just turned 23. Um, I think okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, happy belated birthday. Um, but that I am. So I think that's one of the things that is so inspiring too, is that there are so many, um, there are so many young people that are taking this fight into their own hands that they're just like, this isn't working. What, what has been done is not working. Obviously look at the planet. 
So like we have to take this into our own hands. So what were you seeing or what were you experiencing that inspired you to do this work? Um, okay. Uh, this is kind of like, you know, going back home and, you know, uh, back in yeah. the days. I actually mm-hmm. grew up in, you know, three different villages. And one of the uh, three diff- uh, villages is where I actually spent uh, my entire early childhood. So I spent my time with my grandmother and my great-grandmother in their farms. They mm. each had, they both had uh, farms. Both of them, they had their own farms separate uh, and, you know, different locations as well. Uh, the other was in the mountains. The other was like, you know, in a very good landscape uh, next to, the, uh, wow. to one of the main rivers in the region. So learning from my great-grandmother and my grandmother about, you know, I didn't care about that shit back then. So it was like, you know, uh, (laughs) I just loved being away from my mom. So it's like, you know, spending time with my grandmother, you know, kids who grow up with their grandmothers, so spoiled and all of that. So I just wanted the freedom of, you know, doing whatever I wanted. Uh, So it was was fun running around the fields and the farm. So, you know, doing whatever and, you know, messing around with the crops and the seeds and everything. So I saw my grandmother and my great-grandmother conserving seeds. They were not even using fertilizers, like industrial commercial fertilizers. They just, you know, kind of like, you know, everything was organic. And now when I look back at that, I was like, uh, this knowledge is actually even dying out. I don't even know Mm. anybody anymore who actually possess this, you know, knowledge. And then last year, December, I think I I started like uh, during Christmas, I started like, you know, something else I, I I don't want to call it a project or anything because I'm still kind of like you know just you know figuring it out but you know I yeah. was like you know spending time with you know grandmothers in in, in in different villages uh trying to 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 learn um about you know the different methods they use in, to take care of the land you know how they conserved seeds how they preserved food so it's kind of like you know it's fun when you are like learning about it now, but back then, you know, as kids, we just didn't care, like it didn't matter. And even now, not as many young people are into that kind of stuff, you know. So now because like, you know, all that, you know, growing up in the farm and, you know, spending time with my grandmother and my great-grandmother. Um, so in 2017, when I came to the university, I I think six, four months uh, down the line, I met a certain uh, girl. Uh, She's an artist, an incredible artist. And then she introduced me to a friend of a mutual friend of hers. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) he's actually a zoologist. So then I started volunteering in his laboratory in, you know, zoology and then it was like, I think it was like two months after I started asking my professor about environmental psychology. I don't remember where I got that stuff, but I was like, you know what, this environmental psychology thing is a thing and it should be looked into. So we kind of like, you know, had an argument with my professor, but, you know, he was like, 
you can still do it. And, you know, I was like, you know, I started, you know, going into different things and trying to find out stuff. So when I started volunteering in the lab, um, that's when I started attending different symposiums and presentations and, you know, um, conferences as well, just, you know, events on, you know, biodiversity laws, you know, conservation, uh, alien plants and everything. So it was like, you know, it was like sort of, it felt like reliving my childhood again. So, mm. yeah. I bet your grandma and your great grandma are smiling <laughs> at the work you're doing wherever they are. Um, yeah. I, I think it's so, um, I love hearing people's stories of like where their inspiration came from because it's so often that people look back and go, well, actually it started on this farm when I was running around and I didn't even know it then. Um, so thank you for, for sharing that. So environmental psych, is that what you're studying at university then? I'm actually studying psychology in general, but I really okay. want to do um, like, you know, merge my honors, you know, do honors in uh, psychology and probably environmental sciences. What school are you going to, if I can ask? I've actually visited South Africa and I was at the Nelson Mandela University. I'm actually far from that because because uh, okay. Nelson, uh, Nelson Mandela University is in Western Cape, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm actually in Limpopo, the northern part of the country. Okay. So my university is University of Limpopo. Is there a lot of these conversations, like you just said, you were kind of in an argument with your professor, like, are there a lot of these conversations about environmental issues happening, or are you kind of having to push those conversations? Actually, these conversations were not happening then, so I had to, like, you know, push, you know, these conversations, especially with my professor and some of my lecturers, I had to, like, you know what, uh, how about we look into this? I want to look into this. I found this interesting. So, I mean, it could be like, you know, something that's, you know, really credible for the future. So it was like, you know, always that kind of thing. But I think now they are starting to have those questions because like, I think now climate change is becoming popular. So I'm curious when we talk about climate change and climate crisis in the United States, I think there's a lot of conversation between like, what can we do as individuals or what are we going to try and get our like local governments or state governments or, you know, like national governments to do? Do you feel like in South Africa or where you are specifically that there's a lot of just like individual activism or do you see any help on more of like a national or a governmental scale or is that not happening? Um, actually, uh -oh. those, uh, <laughs> no, um, those are actually really interesting questions and really important as well, because activism in South Africa and the worst is totally different, is absolutely different. And, you know, as young people, there's, you know, in Africa here, let me just say generally in Africa, there's a lot going on. <laughs> unemployment yeah. Yeah. and stuff, poverty, you know, a lot of things like, you know, water scarcity. So when you start talking about climate change, 
separately every you know i everybody that i've you know kind of like you know try to speak to about climate change as like bringing climate change into the top into the conversation alone i just get this weird looks like are you really serious right now we have like unemployment <laughs> talking about climate change so it's kind of like um mm, they don't see the connection not that they don't see the connection i don't think that's the reason it's kind of like okay what's affecting you at the moment what what you see affecting you at the moment so it's you know i think because people have been really young people have been really um struck with this unemployment crisis it's like really affecting them mentally and i think climate change when when you know start talking about climate change there is some sort of denial in there uh, i really can't you know say that uh people are not aware some are yeah. especially young people they are it's just a lot of denial because already it's a lot there's a lot going on so we have to push you know um for awareness you know uh we're starting i think i don't know but you know there are quite few organizations in the province of limpopo that are actually you know doing climate literacy honestly so i sometimes feel overwhelmed and cuz like every other activist that i know they are in you know where you have been in south africa they are in cape town free state housing right. Kwazulu-Natal, right. you know, when you see protest about climate change, it's not where I am. And I always feel like, you know what? Right. <sighs> I'm I'm so tired. Like I feel like there's no support because I'm I feel like, you know, really secluded from others. But when I see them doing what they are doing, it's really I just like feel so relieved at the same time because um you know taking the government to court you know it's it's like really a huge thing and it's like you know it's sort of like you know yeah we tired as you know citizens and we want you know the government to also listen to us and see us and when you see protests about beach you know on the beaches and stuff it's like mm-hmm. you get, like you know really relieved that uh at, at least people are doing something you don't feel like you're the only person who's actually aware so it's it's a lot like you know other are lobbying you know uh governments to do the right thing you know policy i also like you know submitted a um not so long ago uh there was like uh in i think actually in february this year uh the government actually drafted the climate act the climate change bill which has to be oh. uh, yeah which has to become an act so yeah they mm. opened a window for you know uh civil society citizens to you know uh comment send their comments they com- complaints whatever i also sent mine but you know so seeing the stats of how many people submitted their complaints it just shows hope that you know maybe something will happen but when it comes to striking you can't just strike here it's mm. it's a different thing can you say more um 
I mean, in in Africa, it's generally in Africa, striking is very is a huge risk. You can get arrested, and when you get arrested in Africa, it's almost the end of your career. So right, right. So, so yeah, it's kind of like you know, even if you want to protest, you need to go through the processes of getting a permit to protest, which is like <laughs> it's a lot, honestly. I think that's why most people just, you know, settle with, you know, starting organizations. Some just decide right. to to sit back and yeah, I mean, I think everybody's doing it with it uh differently, I guess. Well, and I think one of the things that we have had in the United States for a long time, but given um a lot of the mass shootings and the um you know, targeted uh, people of color dying at the hands of officers and all of that. I think there's this growing mistrust for more people in like governments and that ability to do anything. Do you feel like in South Africa with its political history and everything, do you think there's a trust in the government when they do stuff like that? Like, is there a trust like, oh, yeah, that this this bill will become an act and and this will change? Absolutely not. It's there's a lot. There's a growing um, uh, distrust in the government, especially our president. He, mm-hmm. I don't know how to put it in words, but we we are just tired of you know him as a president and the entire ruling party. We we're just tired of it. It's it's depressing. It's I don't know how to even describe it. It's like, you know, they don't know what to prioritize because I remember um, two weeks before uh, the closing, I think it was one week before the closing uh, of, you know, the submission for the climate uh, change bill comments. Um, one of, I think it was the minister of sports who said he wanted to, um he was going to, I think it was, uh, he said he was going to use 120 million rands to put on a flag, a monumental flag. I mean, how do you do that when we already have a monumental flag, uh, one of the tallest in Africa, and we have like huge unemployment and we also have like huge water crisis, food prices are high oil prices is like yo people can't even afford oil so it was like really people were furious I remember I was like so devastated I was like how can this person do this and you know the most another worst frustrating thing is when you get and anxious and you can't even get to these people you can't even talk to them like It's so sickening. This podcast is sponsored by TerraSeed. TerraSeed is on a mission to disrupt the vitamin industry, empower vegans, and reduce plastic waste in the world. They put everything plant-based people struggle to get in an all-inclusive, vegan, compostable package multivitamin that replenishes them and our planet every single day. Seriously, y'all, win, win, win. Even if you're not vegan, 
This vitamin will help you get those key nutrients that you need. I am so excited to share a discount code for your first purchase. Use code CARLY50 at checkout to get 50% off. Again, that's C-A-R-L-Y-5-0 for 50% off your first purchase at terraseed.com. Don't forget this code so they know I sent you. This podcast is supported by Parade Underwear. Parade believes that the materials that touch your skin should be as comfortable as possible wherever life takes you. That's why their styles come in a large range of fabrics from seamless universal that disappears under clothes to cozy waffles plush comfort that keep you comfy on every occasion. Parade understands that everyone deserves to express themselves however they choose because we're all unique. And Parade knows that there's no parade without our planet. They strive to make all of their products from reclaimed, recycled, responsible, renewable, or regenerative materials. This is really a win-win-win. I love Parade. I've been wearing them for a while now, and I can't recommend them enough. And of course, we love the mission. Use code consciously.carly for 20% off your first order. That's C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S-L-Y dot C-A-R-L-Y, consciously.carly. Enjoy your new undies. So that sounds like, to me, like all of these things added up to why you were like, I've got to start my own organization. Yeah. Because I've got to do, I've got to do it this way. Yeah, it was a different, you know, I think it was like, you know, different reasons. Uh, like, for example, look at Vanessa Nakate. Uh, she's also one of, you know, uh, my inspirations why I started She for Earth. Because uh, at the time when the Associated Press cropped um, her out of the picture, that was like really... A, a, a slap in the face and it was like really painful can you say a little bit more about this yeah I mean uh when she was cropped out of the picture I think you know it was so frustrating because some of us as you know uh who have the same skin skin color as her it was quite discouraging if it's happening to her what then to us you know what will happen to us then so it was like you know so this is I, I even have to go I even have to go back further because I don't have knowledge of the story you're talking about. So is this a woman in politics in South Africa? No, you don't know Vanessa Nakate, the uh, Ugandan uh, activist, climate activist. Uh, I think it was in 2020 or 2021 when she was uh, cropped out of the picture when she was with. Uh, oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I didn't recognize the name you said at first. OK, yes, I'm back on track. I was like, what picture? What are we talking about? <laughs> yes. Yeah. OK, yes. And so that was like a big f- fuel for you as well. You were like, look at what's happening. Yeah, exactly. But I think for me, it took, you know, an entire year. And because like I started She for mm. Earth last year. So it was like, you know. Um, after having some mental um, breakdowns, I'm like, okay, this is the problem. And I have so many ideas. So this is my solution. So I'm just going to do this. And yeah, so it's, that's why I started She for Earth. And it's not like it's the end, you know, starting She for Earth was, you know, ended racism. It's still there, but it just kind of like, you know what, 
uh, it's not the same as, you know, going into a white private school and complain about racism when you went there knowing that you are the kind of person that's not welcomed. Right. Absolutely. So when you, when you look at the She for Earth Instagram page, um, in the bio, you talk about storytelling and like a resource hub, um, making sure the African perspective is heard. So like, what do you see as the future for She for Earth? Like where, what I know, I know after talking to you for this long, I know you have ideas. (laughs) I know you have dreams and hopes and like lots of plans. So like, what are some of the things you hope to do with She for Earth? You really uh, put so much credit on my name. <laughs> I mean, I'm really, I know I don't, I don't mean it to be pressure. I don't mean it to be pressure. I just mean it's exciting because I can tell you're so motivated and so passionate that I'm sure you have more ideas on like what else you hope you could do. Um, actually, um, my vision for She for Earth has always been um, for it to be as cool, like, mm. you know, um, kind of like, you know, you see how the, how our educational system is. It's even worse here in South Africa. Like, it's just like, it's frustrating. Like the curriculum itself, it, I feel like, you know, as much as it's not preparing children and young people, you know, to, for the, you know, for what we are going through or the reality that we are living in, look at what is happening, you know, digital transition, you know, uh, net zero, whatever, energy, you know. It's like, you know, all these transitions need reskilling. They need a lot of, you know, practical skills and all of that. And when you look into the curriculum itself, it's not even providing that. Mm. I saw they added uh, earlier this year, I was reading uh, some of the subjects that were added onto the um, onto the curriculum, uh, the national curriculum by the Department of um, Education. I was like, doesn't make sense because like uh, they added still what, you know, is still not going to prepare children for the reality that we're living in. I mean, you can't provide theory to the kids and not provide them skills when you are expecting them to go out and do something. It just doesn't make sense. It's like you are blinding them intentionally. So it's, you know, sort of like you are showing them how, you know, you are showing them what to think and what to see and not, you know, teaching them how to think and, you know, to see the world themselves so it's like it's just like so infuriating so I think that's why I want to you know develop she for earth further into being a school like you know probably an academy that's providing different types of you know subjects and you know skilling you know children and young people and also because um there's a high number of children, you know, getting pregnant in the country, a high school mm. girls. And that's like really frustrating because, you know, already we have like, you know, uh, Africa, we are, I can't really say poor because like we have all the resources maybe, 
but yeah, economic-wise, we are disenfranchised. And when you see most of these girls, they are like black girls in rural communities. They are falling pregnant. It's just, it's frustrating. Like, you know, maybe there can be a solution, like, you know, maybe giving them practical skills that can actually motivate them to do something better and see things better, you know. Um, So kind of like, you know, doing something like that and, you know, uh, just developing things differently and moving away from this blinding curriculum. I love the idea of an academy and like this place for skills to be learned because in a, in like a different but similar way, actually, I think that in our country too, we're like, the children are the future. The children will take care of it. Like we love our next generation, but we're also not giving them in our like classic kind of curriculum in our school system. We're also one, we're just not telling actual history of this country. It is so whitewashed and so gross. And two, not even prepping anybody for the reality of what's coming down the pipeline. So it's like, exactly like you said, I feel so similarly with the idea of educating children. It's like, if we really think they're going to save us, we got to tell them how. Exactly. Like, what, Show them if how. we don't give them information, then what What are they supposed to do besides feel anxious and overwhelmed like the rest of us? Exactly. Because, uh, you know, uh, it's like, I don't know, kind of like, you know, because I, I know it much better in Black communities is there's mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, collective trauma you know, generation yeah. and generations of untreated, of untreated trauma. And, you know, that trauma, you know, gets to us as children. And when we give birth to children, we give it to them and then untreated, they give it to like, it, it continues like a cycle. So kind of like, you know, trying to bring mental health to the center of the curriculum, because I feel like every school, every school, Every school should have a psychologist and a psychiatrist. Yes. Because yes. if if this because like I know for 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 like for sure in in South Africa about you know about 21% of the entire you know fraction of people who have mental illness receives um, mental health uh, services. Imagine how many other people with mental health diseases that are not being treated and how is that also affecting the society, uh, our, you know, as, as, you know, the neighbors of, you know, these people. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, all these uh, imbalances and, you know, sicknesses, they circle around us. They play around us because we don't see them ourselves. And, you know, as neighbors as well, we don't see them. Even when we see them, we do not have the means to go and say, I want to take this person to receive medical, uh, I mean, psychological services. Why is it that um, medical service kind of like, is free but psychological services is a luxury and 
to access mm. it, you're gonna have like you need to have like a certain um level of financial freedom in order to get there. And psychologists, most psychologists that I know, they operate in uh, private practices. When you go to rural communities, they those people there they also need you know psychological services so when we speak about changing or rewriting narratives how are we rewriting narratives when we are not going to the same places that need changing of the narratives so it's sort of like you know we are being so hypocritical about you know us wanting to change the narratives it's like you know yeah yeah, those, I think you you just brought up so many things that I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Like the, I, I always forget, like I just use audio so v- listeners can't see when I'm like freaking out and shaking my head and pointing and I'm like, yes, when guests are talking. But I was doing that the whole time for those who are listening because everything you just said is so important to me as well in terms of like, we have to look at the big picture We can't just, like you said, like, you can't just talk about this. You can't just talk about this. Like, it's all related. And what is this generational trauma doing to our mental health, to our ability to make change? Like, we really have to go back down to, like, almost back down to, like, the basics of, like, are we taking care of our people and each other and ourselves? Exactly. Exactly. Because, like, I think it also, like, um, as you were speaking, uh, it kind of like reminded me of this issue of indigenous knowledge uh, system. Mm. It's I was like, um, I think I've been following um, Stockholm, but not really fully. And I was mm-hmm. also um, attending uh, uh, a seminar earlier um, where Vanessa was speaking as well. And I scanned the room. It was like really unequal so it's kind of like you know in terms of in terms of skin color yes and also when you look at other indigenous people or other people from or people from other um regions as well you just kind of like ah, uh, there's people what they're saying and you know their reports and everything they're not reflecting anything that they're doing and it just makes me even more mad like we are having all these conferences for what at the end of the day, because nothing is happening. They just keep on doing the same thing. It's sort of like, you know, really frustrating. Yeah. That's also something I think about um, academics in this country too, specifically when people go and get a PhD and get their doctorate. It's like, that's great. I think that's amazing on some levels and, you know, some professions require it. Like I'm glad my doctor has a doctorate and that kind of stuff. But I do think there's this, um, the, that phrase like of academics, like sitting in the ivory tower, right? Like this idea of like doing all this research about all these other people and all these other issues so they can just present on it and be like, look what I found and then walk away. And that was always an issue with me in academics is like, great research, but what the hell are we going to do about it? Like, what's your solution to the problems you just pointed out? I don't want a presentation about the problems. I know the problems. I want, I want you to research like what the hell to do next. Yeah. I mean, even after bringing the the results of what to do next, then 
how do we implement this? Like, I think, you know, right, there's a lot of, right. you know, there are so many great solutions already out there, you know, that have been already drafted, you know, documented and everything. But I think the thing that people, these people don't want to talk about or don't want to get to is implementation of these solutions. It's like, you know, no, we're going to go continue and do more research on these things and, you know, and, 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 and nothing happens. And, you know, we just keep on having all these documents to read. For what? I think it's a way that people can avoid having to take any, like, personal responsibility and, like, have to make change, too. Like, there's this level of, like, yeah, I know it's a problem, but I don't want to have to change my lifestyle and my habits because I'm not, you know, especially for people who aren't affected. So, like, if you live in a place where you don't really see climate change or you don't really see the effects of the climate crisis, there's this, like, I think there's this rub off, like, well, I'm not, I don't know, is it really, like, happening that bad? Like, there's still people who don't even believe it's happening. That, you know, those people, they would really get into your nerves. I just didn't find a better word, but yeah, they are mm-hmm. those people. Most of these people, they would like make you feel really inferior for even actually uh, being an activist. Yes. And then you start asking yourself, am I doing the right thing? Should I be doing this? Like, you know, they make us go into the deeper parts of, you know, insecurities, you know, and then we start self-critiquing ourselves and, you know, say, maybe I shouldn't even be doing this. Maybe it's not even worth it. And, you know, maybe I should just drop. Is there anything that you um, want to like share with listeners that you feel like you haven't gotten to talk about or anything like any advice on kind of how to move through this topic in this world without losing motivation? Like how do you, I guess a better question is how do you stay motivated when all this shit is so frustrating and getting on your nerves and my nerves? And I actually have like, you know, quite a great uh, set of friends. Um, Mm. Actually Dallas Scott, he's from Bermuda. Uh, We don't talk, um, you know, all the time, which is like, you know, have like a, uh, a schedule day where we kind of like, you know, have an hour and chat and all of that. And then we kind of like, you know, uh, speak about, you know, our frustrations and, you know, all that yeah. vulnerability and, you know, kind of like navigating things. Um, so it's, I think he's been one of my greatest motivations and it's also my younger sister kind of like, you know, um, she cheers me on. We don't talk as much, but yeah, she really does call and say you are really awesome and doing great things and you should not even give up. And that's been my greatest motivation as well. As well as reading, I love reading books and watching anime and just going out on hiking. Uh, hiking is my favorite spot to do. So I really love going hiking. It gets me out of like, you know, the world because when I'm there, when I'm at the mountain, I don't want any distraction. I switch off my phone or put it on, you know, flight mode and just, you know, be in the present of myself and, you know, just be there and, you know, listen to myself and stay with those frustrations. And after that, I will probably figure it out how to navigate that. 
So I I would actually say to, to the listeners that there is no way that you won't lose motivation. There are days where you will feel like, mm. there are days where you're going to feel like you don't want to continue, you want to give up, it's too much, it's overwhelming, you're not getting support. Especially when you start looking at other activists who are doing well, who started before you, and you know, no one is clapping for you, and you start like really getting agitated, you know, and frustrated. It's not a competition, it's you are on your own race and just do it that way. Uh be patient with yourself and Take care of yourself, especially your mental health, because it's most important. There's a lot of burning out in this movement. Yes. A lot of us burn out. And in the middle of nowhere, we just zoom out and we are not there. We're not doing anything because we are trying to heal, you know, and, you know, stay out and, you know, focus again, you know, bring ourselves to the center and start again. So don't. No, don't race with anyone. You won't really last because, you know, it's just a lot. God, that's such good advice. I want to take that snippet. And if someone says, how do you take care of yourself in this movement? I want to be like, listen to this. (laughs) That's that's perfect. Like perfect summary of being like, take care of your whole self, do things for yourself, find ways that like excite you. But what I really love that you shared is just the reality of like some days you're going to feel like shit. Some days you're going to not want to do this anymore. And that's just part of it. Definitely. Because I think uh, most people, when they want to be activists, wanna, they want to be activists is, you know, probably they look at, you know, um, other famous activists and other activists who are, you know, already who have already done a lot. Those people went through a lot. There's a lot of, you know, banning out. I know, for example, uh, Melody Weissen and, you know, also Vanessa Nakate in her book. So it's, there's a lot of mental um, imbalances that happen in here. So it's, if you start racing and competing, you're going to see yourself really, really piercing through. So it's important that you, do you, you be authentic always. Oh, yes. I love that so much. Thank you so much for those words and for chatting with me today. This has been um, truly, I woke up and didn't feel very good and was like, oh, I have an interview. And this made me feel a lot better. So I appreciate you. Thank you for actually even having me here. I was like really tired before uh, the interview, but I think talking got me energized. Okay, good. (laughs) Thanks for listening to another episode of Consciously Clueless. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe, share with your friends, put it on social media. Don't forget to tag me. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, leave a review. Reviews and shares help more people to see the podcast and join in on the fun. If you want to make sure to stay up to date on future episodes, follow me at Consciously Carly on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or Pinterest, and head to consciouslycarly.com to sign up for the newsletter. Ready for more Conscious Living content? Check out patreon.com slash consciouslycarly and join the exclusive community over there. And finally, if you're ready to take better care of yourself and the world, let's work together. 
Click the link in the show notes to head to the website, find out more, and schedule a free discovery call with me. Chat soon. In 2016, Mint Mobile was born because its founders thought that Big Wireless was, well, dumb. So they decided it was time to create a smarter wireless company, one that extends its middle finger to conventional truths while also pointing out where Big Wireless is letting people down. They're online only. You can buy plans that are three month, six month, 12 month, no contracts. Choose to stay as long as you want. There are no overages. There's no surprises. There's just no BS. And for someone who lives in a remote area like myself, I can attest to the fact that the service is great and I have truly had no problems and oftentimes is better than the big wireless companies I was with before. To find out more about how Mint Mobile can work for you, hit the link in the show notes so they know that I sent you.